Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. This is coming to you from our new church in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. I'm Pastor Luke McDonald. I'm so glad that you joined us today. In this feed, you're going to find Sunday sermons from our new church. You'll also find Good News Weekly, which is a collection of content from me, my wife Kristen, Jay Griff, and a whole bunch of other members of our new church. We're so glad that you joined us today. It really helps, as you know, with podcasts, if you share, if you rate, if you leave a review, any of that good stuff helps get the word out. Without further ado, let's get to today's content. So we're in the book of Acts in chapter 9, and we've been uh, going through the process of seeing how the church developed from the day that Jesus went to heaven all the way until now. And we've seen first the church explode with success and growth. And then we've seen the church start to be challenged with persecution. And that's kind of where we pick up the story today with this person who is the key person in the rest of the story. It's Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, but Paul, uh, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, uh, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. We'll stop there. So Saul, uh, if you've been tracking along with us through these last weeks, Saul is this character in the story who rises up as a person of persecution. He likes the old way, the Jewish faith that is we're still looking for a Messiah. He does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he was like a blue blood, perfectly bred person for this task because he was trained in the best schools and he had great rhetorical skill and he was strong and had political connections and so he was the guy who was making sure that this new thing of people believing in Jesus wouldn't take off in any meaningful way. He was a persecutor. So much so that he had done so much damage in Jerusalem, we saw this a couple of weeks ago, that the church started to scatter all around the the kind of surrounding area. And so here at this story at the beginning, Paul shows up and he goes to the high priest, which you got to imagine in an older-style political system. The religious leaders had political power. And so he says, hey, can you write me a letter kind of like a recommendation that I can carry with me so that I can go up to another town six days' journey away by foot so that I can make sure that anybody I find up there who believes in this Jesus, that they get the same treatment and are scared back straight. That's kind of the idea. So he leaves, and he's going to keep on damaging the church. And so God uh, steps right into the middle of his story. It's miraculous, and it, sometimes the words can fail. But he was going along, think, like the number one opponent of the Christians. The number one opponent of the Christians. 
And all of a sudden, he's walking along this path to go cause some more damage. And then as he's walking on the path, it says that a great light flashed around him. And do you ever have that experience when you walk out of, like, the movies on a summer day? Have you ever had this experience? And it's so bright that you have to kind of, like, even if you've got the big sunglasses on. Who's, you know what I'm talking about where it's like you're like, but imagine how bright the light must be when it's the glory of God that it immediately, it says, forced him down to his knees. It was so strong that he couldn't. And as he was falling to the ground, he heard this voice. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The voice and the light was so powerful that notice that he said, who are you, Lord? This was so powerful, he was immediately sort of acknowledging that this was going to have to shift. And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. We see here this dramatic turn in Saul's story where he's going as fast as possible one direction and now as fast as possible going the other direction. This is as likely as if you were to leave church today, get home and flip on your television and find out that Donald Trump was saying Joe Biden is the greatest president our country has ever seen. And this is as surprising if then it flipped over to the White House and Joe Biden said, you know what, I really appreciate that, but honestly, I think Trump is the man to lead us forward. It is so unlikely as to be impossible for us to comprehend. That if you were to list the people who were most against faith in Jesus, Saul at this moment would have been like number one worldwide top person. I don't know who's going to believe, but that guy for sure will never believe person. Yet God in his great kindness and mercy saves him and turns him around. And I know some people around the room today who that's somewhat similar to your story. You know, some of us were raised in church and and had faith at a young age and were blessed to grow up. I'm so thankful I was downstairs right before I came up and started preaching. And I love what happens when little children are taught faith from an early age. But some of us, that's not our story. Some of us found faith after a few years of trying to figure it out. Or a few years of... And I remember, I wonder, and I remember, I'm sure, I know some of you, so I know this, your story. There's people around the room that are like, you could point to a day on your calendar of your life in the past where you're like, I mean, I don't know where I'm going, but there's no way I'm going with those religious nut jobs. I don't know where I'm going, but there's no way I'm going to become one of those church people. There's no, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm okay, well, like, what, you wake up on Sunday morning, like, and what, drive over to the church? Like, one of the things that we should observe from the beginning when we see a story like this is to understand that there are lots of different stories that God gives to human beings, but no one is too far away from the good news to be reached by the good news. There is no person on this planet right now, God, if he decided in his kindness, could bring Putin to his knees, could bring all the great athletes to their knees, all the great entertainers to their knees, the people that, that hate God and go out of their way to talk about how much they love sin, God could bring them to their knees. All it takes is a touch from God. All it takes is the bright light of God to shine on those people. And if we're being honest, sometimes we get a little bit stuck in believing that because the story looks like something right now, it will always look like it looks right now. But the story changes. I just want to show you this. I'm, we're going to see some different people's stories as we look through Acts chapter 9. Uh, you can put the whole graphic up on the screen. It'll help me. We see this person, Saul. Do you see it? So he's like the hero of this story. And do you see how 
He's going along, and he thinks that he's being guided. We talked about this a ton last week. He thinks that he's being guided by God, but actually he's being guided by Satan. We talked about this last week just because someone's like holding a Bible in their hand or says that they speak for God doesn't mean they actually speak for God. And his task is to destroy Christians. Why? Because he is after religious devotion. We talked about it before, but I'll just throw it in there again. That lots of things that people are doing because they say they're doing God's work isn't God's work at all. We need to be careful to make sure that just because someone has religious devotion, we don't assume that they're doing things the right way. But this is the story that he's going along, but this isn't the story that he stays with. This is the story that he starts with. There was no more certain evidence of God's power and grace than in his transformation of the church's persecutor into its greatest witness. I saw this uh, online this week, and it blew me away, that imagine that uh, because of what happened on this day, when Saul made it to heaven, there were people cheering for him who he had killed for the same faith that they eventually shared. So he's going to destroy, yet God stops. We see that the story continues. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. So this was one of the people that Saul was going after. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. It's not important really for this message, but that's a place that you could still find that exists, a long road in Damascus. And at the house of Judas, it says, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered. It's interesting the way that the vision is. It's like that he's being introduced to this person, but he knows exactly who this person is. It says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias' initial reaction is understandable and shouldn't be seen as refusing the Lord. It shows and underlines the sheer miracle of this radical transformation of this person, Saul, who soon will be called Paul and what happens in his life. But I wonder who would fall on that list for you. Like, if all of a sudden you had that, that thing where you feel like God is telling you to do something or you feel like God is pushing you to do something, I wonder who would be on the list where if God said, hey, I want you to go talk to her, uh, she needs your help, I wonder who you'd be like, yeah, nah, and nah, nah, I don't <laughs> I think we got our wires crossed here, Lord. No, no, not, not that Ashley. Not that Ashley. No, no, maybe some of the other, many other Ashleys, but not that. No, no, not him. I wonder who might make the list for you of people like it was for Ananias right here in this story 2,000 years ago where God tells him to go and minister to the very person he would least like to help. There's lots of people, you know, if you were driving down the road and you saw someone stranded on the side, there's lots of people, if you saw them, you'd be like, oh, I got to stop, I got to help that person. And then, like, there's some people, you know, where you'd veer towards the puddle to try to spray the puddle on them while they were waiting. Like, we're not too, I hope we're not too Christian. Who, 
Ever, you know, you got like that little bit of a list somewhere in your mind or a little bit of that, that person, you know, whatever happened sometime long ago or sometime recently. Maybe it's the person you're sitting with. Uh, let's just, well, that's for a different day, for a different day. But there is this amazing thing that God says, I want you to do something. And it's interesting because often we, I hear people as a pastor say, you know, I really want, I really want to do something significant with my life or I really want to know that I'm on a mission from God. Yet often the mission is right in front of us. It's just that we're hoping for a different mission to come along. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to go and talk to this guy. And we'll get to the key kind of phrase there in just a minute. But Ananias' story unfolds in a pretty dramatic way. Let me just read you the next part. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may be, regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. And then he rose and he was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened, and for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Wait, it, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And, and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. So uh, we see first Ananias' story. I want to use that same construct. And this is going somewhere, I hope, that's going to be really helpful to you. So Ananias is the hero in this section of the story. And don't get hung up on that word hero. I know Jesus is always the hero. I know, but it's just helpful for this moment. And he's given by Jesus this like really intense task. And his task is to, is to minister to someone that he didn't like. His task was to help someone who had done him wrong and wanted to do him wrong. But why? Because the ultimate goal was the spread of the good news. And often, a couple things that I think apply here. He gets this one spot. As far as we can tell, there's like maybe one time where either this Ananias or another Ananias is mentioned in Scripture. But this is kind of like the one time that he shows up in a way that's important. And his role was not the incredible thing that he was going to do. His role was the incredible thing that was going to happen from the thing that God asked him to do. And he has this one moment where God asks him to obey. And he goes and he prays for Saul, soon to be Paul. And he believes that he could be saved. And he gives him some strength by praying for him. And all of a sudden he can see again and things start to happen so that the good of news can be continued to spread. And next, we start to see Saul, which is soon to be Paul's story, starting to unfold, that he has this like dramatic conversion, where by the time he gets to the place where he was trying to destroy the Christians, he's actually trying to build them and saying, no, more people need to join the team, and more people need to join the team. And his story becomes the exact opposite of what it was before, his story goes from being something where Satan is guiding him to destroy the church, whereas for 2,000 years have gone by, maybe no one, you can put the graphic up on the screen, perhaps no one has done more to build the church. 
That's the wrong one. Just take it. It's my fault. So his story starts to change. And I'm thinking a lot about what we learn and, and what's useful to us. And it's this idea, I think, of deciding whether life is going to be about how much can I make it for me or whether we're willing to listen and obey God. I want to just hone in in the time that we have today on what God describes as Saul, soon to be Paul's task. Just look with me at verses 15 and 16. We kind of breeze through it right in the middle of the story. When the Lord described the task that he had set in front of Saul. So Ananias was like, okay, so he's like, I want you to go. And the reason I want you to go is because he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This task is what was given, and this description of the task is what was given about this guy Saul, Paul. But I would argue that this, biblically speaking, is the task that is assigned to all of us, that we are chosen by God, and we are chosen by God to carry his name with us to the people and places that we go. And we must understand, that's the last part, he says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, i got to be honest, like, uh, as far as like, a pitch, kind of a weak pitch with the way it finishes. You ever like, uh, make the mistake of clicking on one of those videos on like, Facebook or something, and it's some person explaining how in like four minutes a day, they bought like this giant yacht filled with beautiful people that's behind them. And if you're willing to click the link and participate in their program, you too can have this yacht and all the beautiful people behind it. And then if you like accidentally or just for curiosity's sake, click on it, then you like keep seeing the video in your feed like for the rest of your life. Am I the only? Okay, I got like maybe one other person. But anytime you get pitched on a job or get pitched on a product, or you get, you know, you get invited to like one of those parties, you know, and you like thought it was to hang out, and then you, you walk in, there's a table with stuff on it, and you're like, okay, so what? I gotta like buy the cheapest thing at least on the table before I'm allowed to leave, you know? You know, like that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it's not, a, it's not a pyramid scheme. It's an investment opportunity, right? Right? I know. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in those type environments, it's always pitched to you with this kind of like flawless what could go wrong kind of dynamic. That if you just follow these three steps, if you just take this one pill, if you just make a profile on this website, if you just come work at my company, it's going to get better and better and better and better. And there's something so intensely powerful that when God is describing the task that he is going to give to one of his greatest servants. He says, he's a chosen instrument of mine, yeah, and he's supposed to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings of children of Israel because I'm going to show him how much he must pause. And by the American way of thinking and the world's way of thinking, you would think that the next word would be succeed, thrive, be enriched, become powerful, have pleasure, have what... But it says, for I will show him how much he must, put it back on the screen, next word, suffer for the sake of my name. We are trying our very best here at Good News in the Neighborhood to be a biblical church that 
honestly looks at what the scriptures teach us for evaluating and pushing forward in our life. And one of the biggest ways in which the culture that we're swimming in and the Bible collide is right here at this moment, and we got to get this right. That believing in God does not guarantee that things just get better and better and better and better. That the more faith I have doesn't mean the smoother it gets and the easier it gets. And, and if I just have enough faith and if I just put enough in the offering and if I just take my kids off and enough, they're going to be perfect and they're gonna, it's all going to go great. And if, I, and if I just keep going to church, all of a sudden I'm going to be the happiest I've ever been and the healthiest I've ever been and the wisest I've ever been. And all my hair is going to grow back and I'm just going to get taller and skinnier and I'm going to get that chance to play in the NBA that I never had. And it's just going to get better and better and better and better. Actually, biblically speaking... Most often, those who are most obedient are those who suffer the most. And the reason why we struggle to compute that is because we're trying to live the wrong kind of story. The reason why we struggle so often to like put that into a way that understands is we've been taught from birth that life is about us and that we're the starring role and that it's about trying to achieve more and get more and if you just follow the system it's all going to work out perfect and so we struggle to wrap our heads around how it could possibly be that if we operate the way God wants us to operate sometimes that means we're going to suffer we're often trying to live this typical American story see if we can throw that one up there one more See, we like, like this idea that we're the hero in our, this is what I was talking about, that we're the hero in our own stories. And we kind of assemble as the guides for ourselves, like a set of gurus. So maybe we've got Jesus, and, uh, and maybe we've got a few like, kind of Eastern ideas that we've put in, and we've got a few people that we follow online that we really like, and we've got some investment advice that we've kind of put part of it, and we, I've got a friend who I really like him into. We kind of assemble a group of gurus to guide us so that we can have maximum pleasure, possession, and power because our ultimate goal, we think, is to achieve happiness. And if I just have a bigger house, a better car, a better job, nicer kids, a flatter stomach, uh, then I'll be happy. And if I'm happy, then, then I'll be happy. And if I'm happy, I'll just like, keep on being happy. And there's a multitude of problems with this, biblically speaking. One, it doesn't work. Go find, uh, if, if you ever want to, like, just as an example, you know that the country that you're currently living in is the richest country in the history of the world and yet has more people that are unhappy in the head than any country in the history of the world. But yet we can't even, like, see it clearly enough to say, okay, so maybe, like, more stuff and more fun and more X and more Y and more Z isn't going to mean more happy. And so Christians have this way, and this is going somewhere, I think, that's helpful. Christians have this way of slightly changing the story. You can put it up that, like, kind of makes it the same. Some of us are way too Christian to kind of, like, think of, I'm not like all those people, you know. And so we get, like, some pastors and mentors, and we follow all kinds of Christian accounts online, and we see ourselves still kind of in this, like, I'm the hero, and all I have to do is just keep on trusting God and keep on navigating the challenges of my life. And I, if I just kind of stay a Christian and don't give up or, or quit, if I just kind of like stay right here, then I've done what God wants me to do. But where this starts to fall apart is what I was just pointing out a second ago in the story. 
we're still orienting our thinking, many of us, even those who've had faith for a long time, around me. That it's like, how can I keep on doing what I need to do? I want to just think for a second about this verse again. It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That idea there, chosen instrument to carry my name, uh, has its two Greek words. I'll put them on the screen. And it means something in here, chosen or to bear or picked to carry or selected to support. So Saul's task, and I'm arguing in this message your task, is that you have been chosen to bear, you've been called to carry, you've been selected. What am am I really saying? That you, dear friend, God has chosen you and you hold the responsibility of brand extension for the good news of Jesus Christ. That your task is not to be given something just to hold it. Your task is that you've been given something and you're supposed to carry it with you so that it makes an impact, makes a difference, changes something, makes it different everywhere that you go. Now, the great news that I have come able to share with you today is that human beings in 2022 are the greatest name carriers that the world has ever seen. We are incredibly capable of showing, telling, bringing with us the things that we care about. You may be like, what do you mean, what do you mean, what do you mean? Well, uh, we're really good at people knowing what we're into. So some of us are... uh, really into carrying the name of our particular, like, coffee brand. Uh, there's, a, there's a few people in here that if they disappeared off the face of the earth, Starbucks would really, it would show up in their quarterly earnings. Because we are, Alicia uh, is one of them, I'm looking at you, Starbucks through and through and through and through. But, you know, so some people are more, like, into their, uh, some people are McDonald's coffee. They love, like, it's kind of bad, but, like, I'm, I'm willing to pay less. And some people are really on, my friend Ken in the back, he's strong in that one every time. Some people are really into the Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, maybe, I'll never forget one time uh, when I was in college, I was walking through the train station in downtown Chicago and I saw someone buy a Starbucks. Uh, no, I saw someone buy a Dunkin' Donuts and then pour it into a Starbucks cup and walk out with it. And I was like, man, what kind of weird deal they got going? Uh, and some people like the higher end, more expensive coffee. Uh, the person speaking right now is definitely part of that. Uh, like, wait, you paid how much? Yeah, I, know, I don't know what to tell you. But some people, just their choice of their drink is something that they're carrying along with them. It's, I don't need to tell you how many people really get a piece of their identity by the car brand that they're carrying along with them. And there's a lot of people that are Tesla. I'm more normal. I'm a Honda person. I like to buy American. I'm a Ford person. I would never dream of putting my car in the parking lot. I have to go over there really far because I'm here like in a Porsche or something of that nature. And then don't even get me started on the Harley guys, which are like, you buy a Harley and then it becomes your entire identity like in two seconds. And then certainly we carry our sports identities with us, right? 
some people their Cubs White Sox thing is really important. Uh, I haven't been able to pull it off. I always dream of pastoring a church that didn't allow Packers fans even in the door because for me that's like they're like not my people. But some people carry their sports allegiances really strongly. And then you think about the way that we carry the clothes that we're into. Uh, the shoes that I'm currently wearing have like eight logos on them by the time I looked at them before I put them on this morning. And it's whether it's Adidas or Nike or Vans or Reebok or Under Armour or Jordan Brand or Gucci or Kate Spade or Michael Kors or Coach, Aviator Nation, Patagonia, North Face, Lululemon. I'm so, I have so much money that I wear clothes with no label on them at all. You'd have to figure out where I bought them. We carry the... I know we have some friends here in this service that are part of the world of golf. And every golfer that you ever see is like a walking logo on the front of the hat and the side of the hat and the back of the hat and on each side of the shoes and on the shirt and on the pants and on the head covers and on the bag and on the ball and all over it. It's the name of a course, the name of a place. I don't need to tell you in our world that people take a lot by the political party that they're carrying. I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Libertarian, I'm this and this. Some people, they kind of mask that slightly with their choice of news channel. Some people, they're association with like a fandom of someone else the beehive the believers some people like uh, there's a few people that are like really really into like i don't have you know like you know how you get in a text thread or whatever with a few people and then there's that one person that doesn't have the apple phone so it always has to be green and i'm kind of like ah, maybe we just don't include them you know it's like kind of the way i but for some people they're like i'm an apple i'm a samsung i'm a this thing do you know those people it's like the biggest thing about who they are sometimes. Our world increasingly, in some ways for better and in some ways for worse, tells people that they better carry their ethnic background and racial makeup as like one of the first things that they bring everywhere they go. Some people have their favorite preacher, their favorite worship leader, their style of church. I'm a Reformed Baptist. I'm a uh, this, this, this. There's churches that people carry. Like, I'm like, I'm one of the, we're, we're, we're the better group. We're the people over here. We're this, we're this, we're this. What am, why am I belaboring this point so long? Because we are really good at carrying the things that we care about with us. That's not something that we need like an instructional class on. I know every person basically in the room right now, and I could tell you a few things about the things that you're into just from talking to you on an ongoing basis. And yet, we sometimes struggle to carry Jesus with us in the places that we go in the proper way. Because on the one hand, so many people are so afraid of coming on too strong and being one of those people and being rejected that we just kind of like hide it under a bushel. Yes. I met someone not that long ago who came to church with a friend and that uh, was here. I was outside in the parking lot and this guy goes, damn, it's crazy. We've been working together like 10 years. I had no idea this guy went to church or had any faith. And I was like, oh my gosh. I felt really embarrassed. The other people didn't seem to feel embarrassed, but it bummed me out a lot. And so like our fear of doing it the wrong way. And I think that this word and this concept that's here in this text, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. When you're carrying something, you're not throwing it at other people. And when you're carrying something, it's not hidden from view. 
It's just so naturally part of you that it can't help but be part of your life, your conversation, your attitude, and your actions. There's something really natural and healthy and useful about what a person is like when they are carrying the name of Jesus with them. You can't help but talk about the things that you're excited about and uh, the things that you're into. So, um, and we'll, uh, we'll close with this. I want to show the good news story thing in just a second. Yeah, this is what we're after. This is what Paul is called to, is we're after getting ourselves out of the main seat in the story. We're, off, we're, we're trying to get away from the idea that the most important thing in my life is what happens to me and towards the idea that the most important thing that can happen through my life is how I impact other people. And my task is to carry the name of Jesus to spread the good news. That's my task. That's what we're here for. That's why God, in his kindness, is helping you breathe in and out and holding your heart still beating in this minute is because you have a task that's in front of you. And so the task that's in front of you is not to accumulate more or to get to a higher place on some imaginary ladder. Maybe that'll happen and maybe that'll help carry the good news of Jesus. But the very reason we're here right this second is for this task. And the reason why so many people are unhappy is because they're not living for the thing that God wants them to live for. And the reason why so many people in our culture are so turned off by faith is people have used it sometimes as like a weapon to hit people with instead of something to bring with. If the good news that you believe in doesn't make the place that you work or go to school a better place to be, then you're not carrying it in the right way. So, I got one at least. Y'all want me to finish, but they're excited. So, you can't help but speak about the things that you're excited about. We're, uh, our family's going on summer vacation uh, this afternoon with our uh, kids. We're leaving this afternoon, and we're on this thing that we decided to do a, long, a while ago where we're trying to go to all 50 states before uh, the kids turn 18, uh, which was something that was a cool dream. It was not very well budgeted when it was originally spoken out loud. But, uh, and so I was like telling the younger ones, like, okay, guys, we're going to church. And today at church, let's just be at church. We don't need to be like broadcasting the 27 things that you're excited about and that you're going to see the Statue of Liberty tomorrow. And we just, let's just go to church and be at church because like we're just at church and we don't need to like. And uh, we walked in and the little one, she's in the back. uh, She like walked in the door and she was like, I'm going on vacation today. I'm going on an airplane. I can't wait. I'm going to wear this hat on the airplane, this kind of That's why. Well, she's four years old, soon to be five, and little kids, like, have no filter. But, like, you can't help. Am I telling the truth? You can't help it. When I saw the little baby this morning, uh, I was just, like, flipping out, and I sprinted downstairs. to said, Kristen, you got to come see the little baby. And my friends Patrick and uh, Barbara are here in the front row, and they've been out of town all summer, and they've got a tan to show it, and I haven't seen them for a while. And when I saw them this morning, I was bouncing. I was so excited to see them. And the reason why, and we're going to sing in a second, but the reason why I think that we struggle, like right here, it's not hard to push some guilt on top of tell the people in your life more about Jesus. But the reason why we fail is because guilt can't get it done, right? It's because, being honest, 
Sometimes we're not excited enough about the truth that we found a while ago to keep talking about it right now. When you're excited, you can't talk about it. I mean, I'll tell you, like the people in the church with, with, uh, with grandchildren, uh, and there's some, you can't talk to them for like three minutes without the subject of their grandchildren coming up. And the little ones that run in the door for church and the reason they're so excited to get here is the donuts and whatever happens after that is fine. But I mean, I can see it on their faces. They're like, I don't know. Yeah, fine, but can I get to the donuts? And I'm giving example after example after example. They're all hitting at the same thing, hopefully. That the reason why Saul, soon to be Paul, left his conversion experience and immediately started telling people the good news and immediately started sharing it is he had that thrill, that zest, that, wow, I can't believe that Jesus saved me. But if we're being just honest with ourselves, sometimes the longer you've known the good news, the more it started feeling like pretty good news, kind of good news, really good news back then, but like now I've kind of matured past it. And if we could just do something in ourselves to remember who we were, and where we were before Jesus found us, and where we'd be if he wouldn't found us. We'd find it a lot easier to start to overflow to the people around us because he saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done. He reached down and pulled us up when we didn't deserve to be, and so we want us, we want to be chosen instruments to carry his name, and the only way to do that is to still be amazed that he saved us. Why don't you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray on that, and then we're going to sing. So, Lord, I just pray now that you would well up in our hearts again an amazement and an enthusiasm that you saved us. You didn't have to. You chose to. You weren't forced to. You volunteered. You loved us when we were unlovable, and you are holy and set apart and high above and lifted up. And so we want to praise you and sing to you now. If you believe in Jesus' name, please say amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hope you were blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to follow along with us more, you can find us on Instagram at Good News in the Neighborhood. You can find us on Facebook at the same name. You can find us at www.goodnewsintheneighborhood.org. If there's anything that we can do, pray for you, help you in any way, please find us at that website and leave a prayer request. We'd love to bless you. And uh, until we see you again next time, this is Good News. Good News.